Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan and today on The Detail, a watershed moment in Aotearoa's ongoing grapple with one of our most insidious problems. A new government strategy aims to stamp out family and sexual violence within 25 years. The strategy details 43 steps to eliminate household violence, which includes encouraging more people to report assaults. This is a system change that we want. The system needs to be accountable, that we can no longer disbelieve people, that we need to provide whatever the wraparound support is, that is unique to their needs as well. Last week the government unveiled a new domestic abuse strategy, Te Ao Rerekura. It's been in the works for years and the rhetoric around it is tentatively optimistic. Certainly excited and excited about the launch of the national strategy and the action plan today. But is this really the game changer it's being held up as? Or is it more impressive sounding bureaucraties? All mouth, no trousers. Today on The Detail, Stuff senior reporter Kirsty Johnston, who's been reporting on issues of domestic and family abuse for years, explains the background to Te Ao Rerekura, what it says, what it means, what will change, and whether it will actually make a difference by itself, or whether it's part of a wider social, philosophical shift. So, hey, first off, let's talk about, you know, domestic and sexual violence in New Zealand kind of broadly. What sorts of metrics do we use? What what are some of the statistics? Like, put it into context for us, if you could. Yeah, I think that's really challenging. Basically, all of the statistics are bad, right? Like, you have, say, oh, I don't know, we spend $2 billion a year on family and sexual violence. One in three women will experience sexual abuse in their lifetime, or one in 10 boys will be abused as children. Police uh, tend to family violence call out every four minutes, or you have that um, one in 100 sexual assault cases get to trial. So there's all of this data that people throw around, I think. And I feel like to the general public, lots of it's largely meaningless. Because... Like, what does that mean, you know? What does it mean that all of these numbers? Um, and I think the way that Martima Davidson, the minister of this area, framed it is best, which is that it's like it's a national shame. Like, it really is. Like, it's happening all the time to people that you know in a lot of different ways. And for me, that's kind of the best way to think about it. We are a rich country. We're a first world country. Lots of metrics in terms of well-being and happiness and so on and so forth we rank really highly in. And yet when it comes to domestic violence and sexual violence, we rank really, 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 really badly compared to the OECD countries that we compare ourselves to. Um, Mm. Why is that? So I think two things. One is that all of those countries also have this problem. Like Australia has a huge problem with violence against women and children, particularly for Indigenous women and children. If you ask anybody in the States, they would name it as one of their worst social issues. The same for the UK. Like it's it's pretty much everywhere. Um, And the reason why I think for all Western countries anyway, is like patriarchy, basically, right? You've got an inherent power structure where some people are at the top and some people are at the bottom. And there's like all of these thousands of years of cultural norms where women have been subjugated and children have had things done to them. So I think like that's a broad why. Um, And then I think if you specifically look at New Zealand, um, there's a couple of extra different factors. Um, And one would be obviously the violent, colonization of this country where you know like one set of 
rules were imposed by one group on another group. And then you've got also like a particular thing about the New Zealand psyche um, in terms of the really strict gender norms and the kind of repressed masculinity, I would say. That's stuff like boys don't cry and the whole man alone vibe. And I think all of those things contribute. Are things getting worse? It's really hard to know because a lot of what we rely on is um, kind of bad prevalence studies, I would say. So it's people saying, oh, yeah, this happened to me, this happened to me. Um, and I don't know, I think with this with this new plan that we're about to talk about, they're going to hopefully improve those. So we might get a better metric of what's actually happening to people. If you look at the police statistics, it seems like, family violence sexual violence is increasing and the police would say that's because there's more reporting like they've made it easier and better for people to report which like probably is true but then if you look at things that are I don't know kind of more of I don't know like a baseline measure the one that I find really interesting is like hospital statistics so that's where um people come in and are admitted as like a day patient with an injury um and you can see that like injury rates from domestic violence are going up. But then again, that also relies on people being like, oh yeah, this injury was done to me in that situation. And that's a key point, isn't it? Because I, you know, the, the stats that you talked about at the beginning of this interview, that is stuff that's just reported, right? And it's widely accepted that the vast majority of domestic abuse and sexual abuse still goes unreported even now. Yeah, the vast majority goes unreported and then even if it is reported it's not it's really difficult to capture because family violence isn't just somebody hitting someone else or somebody strangling somebody else it has a very broad spectrum of behavior not all of which is like necessarily criminalized in the same way as physical violence This is a key point in this new strategy. It's very important to get across. One of the cornerstones of dealing with domestic abuse now is accepting that abuse is not just violence. It's not only a partner beating up their child or their spouse. Domestic abuse can take lots of forms. So I think they would say, like, at its heart, um, violence is a misuse of power. And it's the misuse of power by people against other people in order to get something from them, to coerce them or to control them. And so that has, like, a bunch of ways it can play out. So you've got, like, elder abuse, right, which might be a caregiver um, or, like, a um, child abusing an elderly person. You've got trans misogyny, you know, where trans people are just totally you know, disrespected and abused. You've got, you know, a myriad of different things, disability abuse, all that kind of thing. So that's all covered. And then kind of the biggest chunk in there is, you know, what we typically think of as family violence, which is intimate partner violence or child abuse. And those are also, (laughs) they also have a lot of ways they can play out. So there's physical violence, emotional violence, psychological harm, you know, financial, like controlling somebody's finances. So there's also a broad spectrum there and all of those things come into play. (laughs) When you look at, well, when I was researching this and looking at initiatives in the past aimed at at curbing domestic abuse and and sexual abuse, it, it was pretty jarring to see how recent 
so many of these were, you know, it was like the 70s when women qualified for the DPB and had a source of income if they left violent partners. Rape within marriage is only criminalised in the 80s. We didn't have a Domestic Violence Act till the 90s. And it struck me that maybe that reflects a society that preferred to pretend something didn't exist. Oh, yeah, because it's really uncomfortable. Like, working in this area all the time, you really notice it. So you publish a story, and if you talk about anything like patriarchy or, um, you know, these broader forces of, like, gender analysis or um, that men are more, more likely to perpetrate abuse, which is statistically, like, very, very true, um, you get this big pushback. And you also don't get men, like, engaging with the stories and at the same rate as you do, um, woman. And I think that's because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for any kind of people in power to want to reflect on the fact that they have something that other people don't. Like, you could look at it in similarly between, like, Māori and um, Pākehā. You know, it's that whole white privilege thing, and it's difficult to um, reflect and to properly, you know, look at yourself and think those things. And I think that is why, you know, um, people just, they don't want to... They don't want to do it because it feels yucky, basically. The amount of work ahead is enormous. The reality is there's going to need to be huge investment in the sector to be able to accommodate those people who are reaching out for support and help. Let's talk a bit about Te Aurerakura. What is it, first of all? Is it a, like a new set of laws? Is it new punishments for offenders? How, how would you describe what this actually <laughs> is? Yeah, it's not either of those things. Um, so this, uh, it's called the National Strategy of Family and Sexual Violence and Te Aurerekura. And so this kind of has quite a long genesis. Like New Zealand's never really had this kind of national plan. Um, lots of other countries have them. Australia's had one for quite a while. And the United Nations has like a committee of women, like for women's issues, right? And so at that committee, it was like consistently raised that New Zealand didn't have this strategy and therefore it was very difficult to deal with violence in kind of like this cohesive way. And we didn't really have good benchmarks or measurements and things to know if we were making progress in this area. And so that body, it's called CEDAW, they said, you need one. And then um, a few years ago, it started kind of the balls rolling, the government um, created this body which is called the joint venture and that's made up of like 10 uh, government ministries and they're all supposed to cooperate um, to address family violence because it's kind of recognized that it's like such a deep societal issue that you can't just have like one group working on it it spans like health education justice all of those things and then so um, last political term the Green MP Jan Logie, she was made the Undersecretary, Undersecretary of Justice and she was put in charge of doing the national strategy. And part of what she did was to make like a Māori group, um, interim, the interim te rōpū. And they kind of started on a draft and then that draft was basically considered unacceptable the first time round. Um, and then there was the 2020 election and Marama Davidson was this time made like a minister of family and sexual violence, which is the first time we've had one of those. Mm. And so she has pulled the strategy together. And what it does is it tries to give a framework for all of those agencies across government to work together. They have to start with themselves. And then, you know, hopefully they'll be able to extend that out and meet Fano in that same mana-enhancing relationship that we all desire 
how would you summarize what the report is kind of a, a, about? say it's like a vision right it's like a it's like a line in the sand it's saying okay this is what family violence is these are some of the drivers we need to do something about it and this is what we're going to do and you know what even getting to that point even getting to that point where everyone could decide on a definition was really hard like what happened with this plan is that um the government went out and like consulted with a bunch of different groups and like i said before this spans like so many different groups so they consulted with like all of these different kind of various um stakeholders and came up with this definition so that's kind of the core part of it and then it also has 40 action points and i think some of them are really good some of them really flow from that definition and from that vision of you know eliminating violence and some are like kind of not as good I think I know they did it in a hurry like I think doing it in a year was fast so they're going to come back to it every year from now on and they're also importantly going to capture better data and and work out what those I think we talked before about like the you know what the benchmarks and what what the measurements would be. Mm-hmm. Can you go into specifics a bit there? G- give me some examples of the action points and um, and what they sort of intended it doing. Yeah, so I think they're quite diverse. They're kind of structured around six different things. You know, it's typical kind of amorphous bureaucratic government mm-hmm. language, and there's not anything in there that I think some of the sector were hoping for, like, uh, we vow to change this law or we are going to, you know, strive to lock up more offenders or we're going to strive to rehabilitate more offenders. There's no, like, really hard language like that. So the key measure of success in terms of the strategy will be seeing how the feedback and the recommendations from the victim survivors are incorporated into the action. Um, But it's more about doing things. Like one of the ones that I know, which is like, you know, it's not sexy, you know, it's really, it's not, it's pretty, um, pretty hard going. But one of them was like commissioning. Like, so when um, the government funds certain like agencies, instead of funding them on like a short time frame. They will try and do it in like a more like build better relationships with them so those agencies have like better certainty and can better get on with the job they're supposed to do. It is necessary for all the members of the joint venture to work together collaboratively in order for it to work, for the action plans to then be developed and drop out of that. I can talk about my hope for it and we'll wait and see what eventuates. Um, another one, like I said, was building capability among Māori um, wahine, like to do leadership roles. So that would be one. Um, just having the annual meeting to discuss the plan is one of them. And there's also ones around like education. So um, going into schools and teaching children about healthy relationships. Uh, that we need to start focusing far more closely on our little people, on our children. We need to be teaching them about what empathy is and what compassion is. It's very, very hard to hurt somebody if you feel empathy for them. So I think that's an important priority. There's some around like educating court, people who work in the courts better about um, domestic and sexual violence. So yeah, it really spans as like police ones, you know, all the different agencies involved kind of have their little bit that they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. One of the things that kind of struck me about this, I'd be interested to see your, th- your thoughts on this, is it seems to have a more... <laughs> Understanding or forgiving is not the right word, but a different philosophy, even when it comes to perpetrators of of domestic abuse, that there are complicated factors behind domestic abuse and 
more of a focus on prevention, like a prevention health strategy, rather than just pumping resources into the crisis end of things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it definitely says that it's trying to rebalance the system, the response towards prevention and healing as opposed to solely kind of cleaning up afterwards. But in saying that, like it does say that it wants accountability. And I think the difference is that it is grounded in those principles from Te Ao Māori. So those ideas are quite different to Western ideas, like the way that Māori law would work is way more based on um, relationships like whakawhangaungatanga and um, whakapapa and mana, like your power that you have. So in the Māori world, if somebody is offended against, that's like a, it's like a transgression of their whakapapa and their mana. To move forward from that is about kind of getting back to a place of like balance, to restoring balance. So they look more, I would say, kind of more forward-looking. It's mm. about being able to, like, be accountable to that victim. There might be some compensation. There might be something the person has to do. But it's more of, like, a collective responsibility of the community to be accountable mm. for that person. And then it's about, like, rehabilitating them and allowing them to come back into the community as well. So it's quite different, and I think that's why it feels unlike other strategies. You talked about some of the action points that you thought were were good and and, and interesting and, and probably possibly effective there. Um, you also mentioned earlier on that there were some that were less good. What are you talking about there? Um, I mean, some of them I just don't even really understand yet. Like, I need to go back and ask the agencies involved what they mean. Like, there was a police project in there, which was something about a data system that just was like the language was so bureaucratic that I couldn't understand it. Um, and then there was another one about like um, upskilling the workforce that um, looks after like children and the agency in charge of that was Oranga Tamariki, which I was like interested in because we know that at the moment Oranga Tamariki is going through this really kind of difficult phase and it's lost a lot of trust from the community. So I was like, I don't know if, that's I don't know like a wise choice at this point um or I mean they're just gonna have to do a lot of work I think to have the mana to lead that work Mm. um and there's a few others again like there was language was just too bureaucratic or I felt they were kind of reheated versions of things that were already happening and I would have liked to seen them expanded and made a bigger deal of like um one that I was disappointed not to see more about was that it's not okay campaign it's not okay to say she was asking for it it's not okay to punch a hole in a wall to show your family who's boss and that was kind of relaunched a couple of years ago and i thought their plan was you know it was really good it was again more looking at um, perpetrators and educating people about um you know the kind of things we've been talking about gender and power and masculinity and being healthy and that was just like this I kind of felt like just one little tick box in the strategy mm. when I really think that it could have been more central to it. It's interesting hearing you talk about, you know, the bureaucratic language side of things. On the first page of the document, there's the sentence, um, Te Aorere sets a collective pathway for tangata whenua, community specialist sectors and government to work together to eliminate family violence and sexual violence. It provides a framework to prioritise and accelerate ongoing work while identifying where more and more different actions are needed. I suppose that's a sentence, and I'm being slightly unkind there because if we're talking about 
a philosophical shift, a shift in mindset, then naturally there is going to be a level of florid language and nebulous language that that is unavoidable. But, you know, I can see how if you were working on the ground in this kind of area, you might read some of the stuff in this document and say, what does that mean? Yeah, I think particularly if you were a victim of violence or, you know, a person who'd used violence, you might wonder what that all meant for you but I think that's just like an inherent problem with these kind of things is that they're so big this one in particular I mean most countries have strategies about violence against women and children New Zealand's like this has just taken on a a huge number of things and I think hopefully what we'll get in the future is it being fleshed out and like far more concrete about what we're doing and um, you know what success looks like for each of those action points because at the moment that's not really built into it and yeah I, I can see that it's good it's good to have it down right you know in journalism we say it's easier to edit than write mm. so well, now that they've got this out um hopefully it can continue to be improved upon Kirsty Johnston says that includes more work done around data collection which could help bust some stereotypes on who the perpetrators of domestic abuse are She says there's an enduring perception that this sort of violence is committed by poor brown men, but ignores the abuse that goes on behind the closed doors of rich white families and is dealt with differently. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Kirsty Johnston. Matewa. <laughs>